the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Dero Shower. I'm your host, Herschel Finley. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing Professor Jared Tenney, who is the organizer of the Jewish Studies Zionist Network. This is an anti-BDS movement, which is going across country. The second half of the hour will be featuring some insights into the portion of Balak, which can be found in the book of Numbers 22. We've got wonderful music scattered throughout the show. A great story at the end. You're not going to believe this one. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Palestinian attacked a Jewish man in the streets of B'nai Brak with an axe. The terrorist was arrested. The man is in stable condition at a local hospital. Terrorists opened fire on IDF soldiers outside Chomesh. No one was hurt. Soldiers are looking for the attackers. IDF soldiers arrested two members of Hamas as they tried to cross the border fence from Gaza. The two were carrying grenades and knives. IAF planes attacked sites in the Tarshish region of Syria. Russia condemned the attacks. The PA, the Palestinian Authority, finally handed over the bullet that killed Al Jazeera's journalist Shireen Abu Akhla to American forensic experts. It could not be determined if the bullet came from an Israeli or Palestinian gun, as the bullet was too damaged. Windows were smashed at the Chabad house in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Police are treating it as a hate crime. A swastika was carved into a field outside Brandenburg, Germany. Anti-Semitic graffiti was spray-painted at York University in Toronto. Police arrested the man and charged him with seven counts of hate crime. 
a judge in Brazil, listen to this one, a judge in Brazil get handed down an 18-year prison sentence to a pastor who called for a second Holocaust. Interesting thing for those people who are agriculturally conscious, the Knesset passed a law banning caging and beak trimming of egg-laying chickens. Whoa. Another In other news, another 150 Ethiopians made aliyah to Israel this week. Yay. A Torah, this is disheartening news. A Torah scroll was stolen from the Las Vegas Venetian Hotel. The Torah belonged to Jack Abraham, who attending a trade show there. Mr. Abraham is offering a $10,000 reward for the return of the Torah. Some interesting news. The Welsh and British governments awarded over 600000 to the Foundation for Jewish Heritage to open a Jewish museum at the Merthyl Tilduf Synagogue in Wales. You try saying that three times fast. The synagogue was opened in 1877 when there were Jews in Wales. Now there's not a whole lot. There is a Chabad house in Cardiff, but I think that's about it. Ukraine will not allow visitors to come to Uman to pray at the grave of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov this Rosh Hashanah. A normal year would see tens of thousands of pilgrims visiting the site. Ukraine said it cannot guarantee their safety. And finally, this is take note, lovers and hummus of falafel, global supplies of chickpeas, the main ingredient of both of those dishes, are expected to be in higher demand this year as a combination of the war in Ukraine, poor weather, and transportation problems is leading to a shortage which is predicted to increase prices and make hummus harder to find. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Mr. Jared Tanny, Professor Jared Tanny, who is the Jewish, the organizer of the Jewish Studies Zionist Network. He's a professor at University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Thank you much for so much for joining us, Professor Tani. Thank you for having me here, Rabbi Herr It's a pleasure for both of us, I gather. Okay, so for people who have been living in a cave, could you give us a little history on the BDS movement? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, um, anti-Zionism, that is to say, you know, which defies uh, easy definition, but boiling down in essence to the idea that you know Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state um, again and that could be interpreted in a variety of different ways um, has existed um, you know really going back since the very beginning uh, of the Zionist movement um, but after uh, the formation of Israel uh, in 1948 and one can argue that it's intersected with 
anti-Semitism uh, to a large extent, because those who became against Israel as an existing state at that point were essentially calling for its elimination. Um, this uh, started uh, predominantly in the Soviet Union and in Arab states, and the general line that they would put forth is that we are not anti-Semitic, we are just against uh, the idea that the, there should be a Jewish state um, in uh, what had previously been called Palestine under the British and then previously under the Ottoman Empire uh, and various other regimes. Um, and eventually, this spread to the uh, left, the American political left, uh, especially in an academic setting um, in the United States and in other Western countries. Um, since the early 2000s, there's been a more concerted movement. Uh, it began uh, approximately in 2002 um, at UC Berkeley's campus. Uh, that's where it really got launched. Uh, the movement for BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. Uh, the goal being boycott uh, Israeli institutions, Israeli goods, um, Israeli individuals who are working for the state in certain capacities. And again, there's a very big gray area here. Um, there's also a push to divest uh, investments uh, from companies uh, in Israel um, and to boycott them as well. The argument being that they are profiting from the occupation of Palestinians. Um, and the third component, S, sanctions, is to enact sanctions against Israel, uh, much as there are sanctions against uh, the most oppressive regimes in the world, such as uh, North Korea um, and uh, China and Iran, for instance. Um, so th that's the BDS movement uh, in essence. And uh, since its initiation in the early 2000s, it's spread significantly, uh, not only in social uh, act justice circles um, in the United States, but also on college campuses. Now, the argument... Um, Although the interesting thing is here, Israel is really the only country that there is such a concerted movement to boycott um, on college campuses. And this is where the whole anti-Semitic, another uh, way in which the claim that this is anti-Semitism becomes uh, viable. Um, why is Israel the only country that is being subjected to this? Look at the number of oppressive states that exist, be it in the Middle East um, or in Central Asia or in East Asia. Yet Israel is the only one that is being subject to boycott. Well, organizers of the BDS movement claim that there is actually a grassroots uh, Palestinian movement, and they are the ones who have called on the West to actually boycott Israel. Um, there have been a number of scholars who have demonstrated that that is not exactly true. Um, of course, there are uh, vocal Palestinians, that goes without saying, um, who are you know, calling and working with people in the West uh, to enact um, a boycott uh, of Israel. Um, but much of this is being driven by activists, and many of them are university uh, professors um, in the United States. So this has been growing for the last two decades, and really uh, since, I would say, about 2010, it's spread uh, significantly on college campuses to the point where um, virtually every other week um, we hear about a student association at an American university uh, passing a BDS resolution, calling on their university and their states and the American government to fully divest from Israel because it's an apartheid state. It's a Jewish supremacist state. Um, it's a European settler colonialist project that is destroying the indigenous Palestinians and enacting genocide against them. Now, these resolutions really don't get very far in and of themselves. And even if the student governments pass them at universities, uh, the college administrations virtually never 
act upon them. And occasionally they will even comment on them and say that we have a uh, you know, firm commitment with Israel. Um, we are not intending to you know, boycott them in any way whatsoever. But the problem is, is that it leads to hostility um, on college campuses. Um, it, it, there was an uptick in hatred towards Jewish people because um, of all the discourse surrounding it. I hear a beeping in the background. Can you still hear me? No, you're fine. Let me, so let me just jump in. Okay. Uh, so th- sure. there's, a, there's an old Yiddish expression, and I think uh, every Yiddish expression at this point is an old Yiddish expression, which roughly translates as ignore a barking dog. So the BDS movements on campus have proliferated. They have all these different groups that are calling for whatever organization to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. But you say that it has very little impact on actually anybody boycotting, divesting, or sanctioning. So couldn't we just sort of like sweep them under the rug and just like say they're, they're going to do what they're doing. They're barking and they're behind a fence and, you know, we're just going to go do what we're going to do. Let me clarify what I'm saying. It has had virtually no impact on Israel itself. Okay, It's had no impact on anyone actually boycotting Israel. What it has had an impact on, though, is that it's heightened the climate of anti-Semitism on college campuses to the point where Jewish students and Jewish professors are being subjected to litmus tests um, by committees, by student associations, by their colleagues uh, as to where they stand on Israel, right? And there are a lot of people on college campuses, be they students, uh, Hillel or other organizations uh, for Jewish students, uh, who want to express an affiliation with Israel. Because for them, Israel is an intrinsic part of their ethno-national identity, right? Uh, It's an expression of Jewish peoplehood, right? Um, Regardless of what the internal politics of Israel might be from day to day. So when a Jewish student um, who would like to be on, let's say, the student government um, is being um, asked uh, a number of questions during their interview, and they're asked, you know, point blank, where do you stand on Israel and Zionism? Um, one cannot claim that this is simply uh, something that is not working, right? It is very much having an impact. And one can argue that this is anti-Semitic. It's holding the Jews to a double standard. It's subjecting Jews to a witness test that nobody else uh, is subjected to. I can't imagine a Chinese-American student uh, being, uh, <laughs> applying for a position in the student government and someone asking them, where do you stand on the People's Republic of China? I mean, the idea is utterly absurd. So it is having an impact. And, it's not, and, and whether that's the impact that the uh, BDS proponents uh, originally wanted, that's very difficult to say. Um, but, yeah, yeah, all evidence points to the fact that the BDS movement will not have an impact on Israel's existence in any way whatsoever. But it is having an impact abroad. It is affecting people in the diaspora. And it is making Jews start to look over their shoulders in certain public spaces, especially on university campuses. Um, We've been conditioned to think that anti-Semitism is primarily a right-wing phenomenon. And look, there are obvious reasons for that. You know, I need not go into the Holocaust. You know, only the right has enacted an exterminatory genocide against the Jews. Um, You know, there have been mass shootings uh, in the United States and elsewhere uh, coming from the right side of the political spectrum. So obviously our attention should very much be focused there. But there is a form of left-wing anti-Semitism that very much intersects with what one might call anti-Zionism. 
Um, now, again, I'm certainly not arguing that all criticism uh, of Israel is anti-Semitic. I would never, ever make such a claim. Um, but the way certain characterizations of Israel are expressed and the way Jews are very often uh, called on to answer for Israel's behavior um, is done in a method that is very much reminiscent of anti-Semitic practices um, of the past. Uh, this happened in the Soviet Union, where every Jewish citizen was held under suspicion of being secretly loyal to Israel and Zionism rather than to the Soviet state. And the Soviet government would say, this is not anti-Semitism. This isn't what the Nazis did. The Nazis destroyed the Jews because they were considered to be a degenerate race. We're fine with the Jewish people, but they need to go out in public and renounce any allegiance to the state of Israel. Um, so it's a different form of anti-Semitism, but it's a similar idea, right? The idea that the Jews are loyal to another government rather than the one that they live under. The charge of dual loyalty goes back uh, hundreds of years. It goes back all the way to the French Revolution. So there is very much anti-Semitism at play here, and it's affecting people, especially on college campuses um, in the diaspora. Okay. Our, uh, so it is me, a let real me, problem. Let me, let me jump in over here. Then our guest today is Jared, Jared Tani, Professor Jared Tani. He's started an organization called Jewish Studies Zionist Network. He's located at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Okay, so I remember when I was in student government. So the student government passed a a resolution that was suggested that the administration do X, Y, and Z. And the administration shut it down, just said that is not happening. And you're not allowed to do any other types of resolutions like this ever again. Okay, why can't we focus or why isn't there a focus on the administrations that are in charge of these student governments to put a lid on this, Jared Tani? There is, um, and there are other um, associations um, in the United States, um, some of them you know, driven by people in the academy um, that are working with the university administrations to try to stop this from happening. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not successful. It depends on the uh, campus in question. Um, there are other organizations that are trying to work through the legal system to show why uh, some of this really violates uh, you know, aspects of American law. Um, but So that's not what my group is trying to do. My, my group is trying to carve out a, a different space, um, primarily in the space of public academic discourse. Um, because, again, you know, as, as I, I've suggested, um, the heightened discourse, uh, the heightened uh, charges leveled against Israel that very often manifest themselves in the form of anti-Semitism um, are causing real harm to American and European Jews. Um, and the... Academic uh, faculty um, in the humanities have become deeply complicit in this. Um, so my group is trying to carve out a particular space um, in this realm um, because much of this battle is being waged in the public sphere. It's not only about working behind the scenes and getting the university administrations to intervene. Okay, so let me ask you, this is now personal. Could you describe to me what's like life, what is life like on the University of North Carolina campus at Wilmington, which people shouldn't get confused with the big basketball school that goes to the end. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, first and foremost, let me just say, and, and I could you know, say a little bit about how I got involved in all this. Uh, there is no problem at my university. Uh, my colleagues are all great. We have a tiny Jewish studies program. I am pretty much the extent of it uh, because we have a very small uh, Jewish student body. 
some donors a number of years ago, uh, a, a decade and a half ago, decided to raise money to create an endowed chair in Jewish studies. Yeah. And, is, is, there a, uh, is, there a, is there a Chabad house on campus? There is a Chabad house in Wilmington, but they're not on campus. Okay, so um, at least it's so on, somewhere around. Okay, so it's, it's, Wilmington's big enough to have a Chabad house. Okay, good. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Wilmington's, yeah, the, the Chabad coming here is a story in and of itself, of course. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's it's politically um, politically fairly quiet at UNC Wilmington. That's not the case at, uh, as you refer to them, the basketball school. Um, they certainly have um, an anti-Zionist uh, BDS problem um, at that school, as do other universities um, in the state of North Carolina. Um, I, I came to all of this because of uh, the hostility I encountered in Jewish studies itself, um, as you know, a larger academic field um, throughout North America, because um, of the hostility that many, and we're talking several hundred, you know, Jewish studies professors um, have expressed towards Israel in the form of anti-Zionism. They have, in recent years, gone along with the anti-Zionism uh, that one finds in the anthropology department, in the Middle Eastern studies department, and other departments uh, that are known for their left-wing politics. One would expect Jewish studies faculty to be pushing back against this, to be standing up, um, not just for, you know, for Israel, but the right for American Jews to express um, a Zionist identity on campuses. And seeing that. Uh, in fact, they're doing the contrary. They're going along with it. Uh, last May, uh, you may remember during the uh, Gaza, the one month long Gaza Israel conflict, there were about uh, three or four dozen statements issued by academic associations um, and individual departments all across North America blaming Israel entirely uh, for the war that was taking place, for a very complex conflict. They were referring to Israel as an apartheid state, a Jewish supremacist state. They were saying uh, Palestine, uh, Palestinian liberation is a feminist issue, it is a queer issue, it is a Zionist issue, it is a that issue, and we stand with the Palestinians and we condemn Israel as a European uh, colonialist uh, supremacist state. Um, after these several dozen uh, statements were issued, um, there started uh, to be some attacks against Jews in the streets. Um, and on campuses in North America. Again, nothing compared to what we've seen in terms of right-wing violence against the Jews um, over the past uh, uh, few uh, years, but enough where it's no longer a negligible phenomenon, enough where we have to pay attention to somebody screaming free Palestine and starting to attack Jews. And you have all these professors nevertheless issuing statements condemning um, Israel and blaming them for all this, without saying a word about anti-Semitism. Okay. Now, Jewish studies, now, here's where the, the real kicker comes in. Jewish studies decided not to, you know, Jewish studies faculty did not issue any sort of collective response saying that this is wrong. Um, there are two sides to this conflict. You should not be uh, unilaterally blaming Israel. Instead, they issued their own statements, uh, like everyone else, blaming Israel entirely for what was transpiring calling Israel a Jewish supremacist state built on European colonial practices. So they were essentially going along with the anti-Zionist uh, trend in academia. Um, and that is a real problem. I can't imagine that happening with any other minority group where their uh, spokespeople, the experts who teach um, their history and culture on college campuses, 
will essentially go along um, with the people who are vilifying them. But that happened in Jewish studies. And it occurred to me that I realized that this can't, they can't represent everybody in our field. There must be people who agree with me that this is wrong. Um, there must be other Jewish studies faculty who are willing to speak up as Jewish studies experts, as experts in the history um, of Israel and uh, other aspects of Jewish history, um, who will argue that Israel has the right to exist. Zionism is a legitimate expression of Jewish peoplehood. And Jewish students and faculty um, have the right um, to express this identity, to teach Israel in an even-handed manner on college campuses, and to stand up to anti-Zionism okay. um, when, it, when it rears its head. Okay, so our guest today is, again, is Jared Tanney. He's a professor of University of North Carolina. started an organization called Jewish Studies Zionist Network. So, okay, so in response to that, how did you personally, or like why did suddenly did you think that you were the one to do this as opposed to somebody else, get together and start the Jewish Studies Zionist Network? And what do you hope to accomplish by it other than more rhetoric going the other way? And have you gotten pushback from this seems to be the majority of Jewish Studies professors and organizations? That's three questions. Sure. Uh, in terms of why I'm the one who started it, um, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, one of the reasons was that I was not keeping my mouth shut, and I chose not to ignore um, the people uh, in my field who were uh, vilifying Israel and, you know, bringing speakers to campus uh, who's, who were, for all intents and purposes, you know, Palestinian nationalists um, who were saying that 1948 was a racist endeavor. I actually decided to you know, try to push back. Uh, and I did so, at least at first, um, in a civil manner, trying to, you know, discuss and debate with them, but I saw that was going nowhere. Um, so I started writing some op-eds about it, and I published uh, quite a few of them since, uh, really, since 2017. Um, this has led to uh, me being deemed uh, uh, persona non grata in certain corners of Jewish studies, and uh, then I realized that I need to look for my, you know, political and intellectual home elsewhere. And, you know, via social media, primarily Facebook, um, uh, I made uh, friends, colleagues um, in Jewish studies, um, in not only in North America, but in Israel and in Europe. And I decided, okay, something, someone needs to give it a push. Someone needs to, at the very least, set the ball rolling. And that's all I did. I mean, it started with me just starting a Facebook group. And then we decided to write up a mission statement. And then we decided to solicit signatures for uh, our mission statements. And we figured, you know what, if we're able to get 40 signatures, that would be terrific. But we have over 140 signatures now. Um, and yes, there are many, many hundreds of people in Jewish studies who, are, who would just prefer to keep their mouths shut and their heads down, because this could be very damaging to their careers, they believe, if they were to actually sign the statement. Um, but nevertheless, I believe having 150 people approximately uh, sign this statement um, is making a profound point um, to the academy on the whole, and more importantly to the Jewish public, um, who, which is beginning to be aware that there is a problem in Jewish studies, and that Jewish studies, especially people holding these endowed positions that you know, wealthy donors uh, created in order to enrich the college experience so people can learn the history and culture of the Jewish people. But rather than doing that, a lot of these professors are actually bringing in anti-Zionists 
speakers um, who are then uh, coming and essentially bashing Zionism in Israel um, as a big mistake and whatever else. Um, so, again, part of the agenda here is, you know, yes, much of this is, uh, is rhetoric and it's about uh, waging a war of words in the, in the public sphere. Um, but we are trying to make greater connections um, with the public to show them um, that we are here and that the people who are anti-Zionists are not representative of everyone in Jewish studies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important message to send out, not only the people on campus, but people off campus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other goals, um, again, another thing, and it's in our mission statement, is that we want to ensure that a safe space exists for these Jewish students and professors on campus um, who literally fear um, expressing their uh, Jewish identity in public because of all this uh, rhetoric um, and all these BDS resolutions. And much as a safe space exists for other minority groups and has been created for other minority groups over the years, uh, and that these minorities can go, feel comfortable going to their professors in African-American studies, in Latinx studies, in women and gender studies, in LGBT studies, and they can get help uh, from them or advice from them should they feel as if um, they are not safe on their campus to express who they are. Uh, We want to ensure that such a space exists for Jewish students and other Jewish faculty as well, that we as Jewish studies uh, scholars can help provide that safe space for them. So in that sense, it's not just a war of words that's going to keep going. We're trying to have a direct impact um, on the uh, well-being uh, uh, of students and faculty um, on campus. Okay. Have you gotten any pushback? That was the third question. Anybody from these uh, groups? First, uh, very, very minimal at this point. Um, it hasn't, uh, don't forget, we only really launched uh, two weeks ago. Um, I've been interviewed several times. There's only been one or two write-ups thus far in the press. Uh, I'm not sure how you came. How did you come to hear of us, may I ask? Um, one of the press services. Okay, yeah. So the, the JNS did a press release, and that was picked up by uh, some other by some other newspapers. Uh, there will be um, a, a lengthy uh, piece about us coming out in the Jewish Journal um, in the next couple of weeks, um, and uh, the Jewish Institute for Liberal uh, Values will be hosting a panel uh, on Monday uh, with me and uh, our other uh, coordinator, one of our other coordinators, uh, Dr. Adam Fuller, um, this Monday. So, um, you know, uh, I expect there to be some pushback um, as time wears on. Um, I'd rather get pushback than be completely ignored. Uh, you know, there's a bad press, one could argue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just don't ignore me. Okay. Don't ghost yeah. me. Yeah. Understood. I yeah. may be a little bit premature for the next question, but have you gotten any professors who have said something to the effect of, well, I feel enlightened now. I'm going to join you. I was on that side. Now I'm going to join you. No. I mean, most of the people who've signed, uh, the ones who I know personally, which uh, let's say a third of the people on the list, were people that I mostly expected to sign, uh, or people who had not voiced anything politically, uh, you know, up until that point, um, and I wasn't sure which side they were on, um, who perhaps, you know, I was a little bit, uh, you know, maybe perhaps on certain occasions uh, overjoyed that certain people who don't really say much in public about these things, decided to sign on to our statement. Um, because uh, for them, this is sort of a big move, right? Um, they never signed on on any anti-Zionist statements, but I never really saw them say much politically 
to oppose the act of Zionism. So the very fact that they actually uh, signed onto our statement um, at the very least means that they're willing to put themselves out there. Uh, so there have been a handful of people um, who've signed uh, the, uh, the statement that I was not really expecting to hear from. But I haven't seen any great people go through a great awakening here. Uh, I haven't seen any uh, born-again Zionists, if you will, uh, <laughs> surface. Uh, one can always, always hope that that happens. Uh-huh. I have one more, we have time for one more question, and that is, okay, no offense sure. or affronting to UNC Wilmington, have there been any of the Jewish studies professors from what I would refer to as major universities like a Columbia or University of Michigan or UC Berkeley that have signed on to your uh, your program, Jared Tanner? Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, there are, there are people who teach at uh, larger uh, – and no offense, of course. Yeah, no offense taken, of course. Yeah, I want to stress that, you know, at a lot of these larger programs – uh, there are people who sympathize with us. Um, there are some people um, at these larger programs who won't sign simply out of fear because they know that half the people in their program um, would be against them, and then they have to worry about their own promotion and really their daily life. But we certainly have uh, people from UCLA, uh, from people uh, from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Uh, I'm just looking you know, through, through the list here. Uh, Someone from Georgetown has signed on. Someone from McGill University in Montreal just signed on. We have people from Northwestern University. Um, so, you know, very much so. Um, we, we are getting uh, interest in some of these larger places. Okay. Um, but, but I do want to point out that uh, just, uh, you know, to uh, add to what you're saying here is that, you know, institutional affiliation, one can not only, you know, look at that as a measure um, of, uh, of a person's importance in academia, uh, because academia is highly politicized, and there's a lot of gatekeeping going on. And this is true of every field in academia, um, and it's political in many respects. Uh, but in Jewish studies, it's especially political, and Israel you know, enters into it. And um, there, um, I believe, are certainly people whose uh, mobility um, has been obstructed um, in academia because they've been outspoken on, on certain issues, with Zionism being one of them. Got it. Understood. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for us. Our guest today has been Professor Jared Tanney. He's at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Has started an organization, Jewish Studies Zionist Network, to fight the BDS movement. Um, website, please, uh, Professor Tanney. Absolutely. Our current URL, um, we are being hosted by Weebly, so at the moment it is JSZ Network. So the Jewish Studies Zionist Network, JSC Network, dot Weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y, dot com. Okay. So JSC Network, dot Weebly, dot com. Okay. Are you, is there any kind of out-of-pocket expenses for you? Is this costing you money? At this point, uh, no. Um, okay, but we are, uh, we, we will have to uh, buy a domain name and move over to a more professional uh, web hosting company at some point. Um, that is the uh, next uh, next uh, uh, thing on the horizon in the coming weeks. Okay, so okay, it's going to be a grassroots organization, basically. Okay, wonderful. We exactly, want to thank yeah. you so much and keep us apprised of uh, your accomplishments and successes and whatever else is going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Okay, great. Super. Okay, okay, that's going to do it. First, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. 
It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up next for your listening pleasure, this is brand new. This is God Elbaz. This is actually part of an infomercial for what's called as like the One World Shabbos, where people are, are encouraged to invite guests to their house for Shabbos. And uh, it's called, the song is simply called Good Shabbos. sings and teaches us Shalom, the secret of the Jews. Up for your listening pleasure, it is, this is a Klesner song, 
Spiel Zemir a Lidl in Yiddish. Play a Yiddish song for me. And this is the Passage Klezmer. They are an Argentinian group. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. 
Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschelton and here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week's portion is the portion of Balak, and it can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 and following. The portion is called Balak, which is kind of strange because Balak was a bad dude. Understood, okay, you have a portion of Chayasara or Noah. Um, even in Korah, we could find like a justification that he really just wanted to get closer to God. Balak? Balak wanted to annihilate the Jewish people such that <laughs> the Jews were told at the end of the book of Numbers, annihilate Balak. And so what a bad dude he was. So what, what's, what gives? Why is it that the portion is called after the name of this evil dude. The Almighty creates everything, and everything has a purpose, even the forces of evil. Judaism, we do not believe in pantheism or dualities. We believe in a singularity, which is God. And everything is by the guise and means of God. God created evil for a purpose. You can say it's a, a part of the expression, a necessary evil. Why are bad things created? To overcome, to uh, whatever the rationale behind you might want to give. I'm not going to start guessing why God does anything. It's above my pay grade. But... For godliness to enliven things which are bad, think how the godliness has to come all the way down. What God has to do to contract and contain his infiniteness into a creature that says God doesn't exist. And yet, the Almighty does it. What happened? What's the purpose there? So we see that in all the 53 portions of the Chumash, the only time there is any reference to the Messianic age is by Bilaam, who was like as good as Moses was, Bilaam was as bad, in this portion to indicate that the Messianic era and the preparation thereof, what we have to do, has to reach way down, even into the forces of evil. This is one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why Jews are in exile, is in order to be able to elevate, raise up the environment which was heretofore an ungodly environment and elevate it so that part of the world can be ready for the Messianic era. 
And indeed, Jews have been moved all shuffled all over the world. And I'm hoping that Jews don't have to move in mass to Eastern Asia. That's the only place in the world where there has not been a mass contingency of Jews. When I say mass, I mean like New York City has, to the greater New York City area has 2 million Jews. Warsaw in the 1930s had 2 million Jews. You know, so th- this type of thing, and then Warsaw, we're done with Warsaw. We, we, we elevated. Warsaw's as good as it's going to get. We don't need to be there anymore. So this is alluded to and indicated in the portion itself. It tells us what we need to do. What do we need to do? We need to be working in the world. We're not, we can't be, the time for being cloistered away from the world and being afraid of the world has stopped. It's not for us to be there anymore. Jews are not living in shtetls anymore. Although if you look around, you see, uh, you know, this part of the world is, in, this is, this is a, this is the Jewish section. I mean, simply in Detroit. I mean, you know, there's not that many Jews living in Trenton, but there's a whole lot of Jews living in Oak Park and Southfield. So why is it that? That's just the way it happened. But it's not to be, it's, it, you can't say it's, it's wrong, it's fine. As people like to live near their friends and their relatives. But we have to be out in the world. We have to be even affecting the people in a positive way that are living in Trenton, Michigan. And for sure, Trenton, New Jersey, you know, whatever Trenton else there is in the world. Because that's why we're here. We've said this in the last 28 years, probably 8 zillion times. That's just an exaggeration. That the Almighty made the world in order to make it a a more godly place. one One in which godliness can be conveyed. And to do that, the world, which is created in an imperfect manner, needs to be perfected. And so we have to do that. We have to be out in the world and in promulgating monotheism, just like, just like the patriarch Abram, Abraham, and to tell people and to encourage people to be doing the right thing. In whatever capacity, you don't have to be a clergy person, you don't have to be even a learned person. The Rebbe's, one of the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's monikers was, if you know Aleph, you don't have to learn base to teach somebody else Aleph, which translated into English would mean, if you know the letter A, you don't have to learn B to teach somebody else the letter A. You can teach somebody else the letter A. And it's amazing things that I've seen people who I've taught and whose knowledge is a little bit better than rudimentary are teaching people whose knowledge is rudimentary and thus by everybody gains. I, it's it's like the uh, spiritual Amway. I get a, a big kick out of it. But speaking of big kicks, we've got to take a quick commercial break. We've got an amazing story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you Help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. 
Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Hey, Shilton, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Uh, if you're listening on RabbiFinman.com, that you've, you're, you've got the way to t- contact me. It's right on the homepage. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or iHeart Network or Odyssey or Stitcher or whenever ever the else you get your paid podcasts from, then go to RabbiFinman.com and on the homepage we have a contact link and you can pose any question, query, etc. We also have archived editions of the show. We've had some pretty hot topics lately, gun, guns and uh, uh, state supporting education, abortion, all within the last two months. All these hot topics that we've had, thank Baruch Hashem, there's what to talk about. And we hope to make uh, make it, like I say, I hope we have a chance to entertain you a bit and I hope we have a chance to educate you a bit because we want to create a, a uh, media which is medium, which is worth your time. It shouldn't be just vapid, like talk radio type stuff. It should be something you should learn. If you come out with feeling a little bit smarter and a little bit happier, then I did my job. Now it's time to do your job because you need to go to the donations page. We're into July and the Jewish Hour, which has been online now, which has been up and running for 28 years, 1994 we started. Luke, what year were you born? 2000. Yeah, so we've been on the air longer than my board op has been alive. Thank you very much, Luke, proving the point. We've, we've have, we have longevity. So it's only because of people like you. Because you've stepped up. The Salem Communications is very patient. Three months is okay, but they start getting. Uh, I passed the station manager today, and he kind of like gave me like a little bit of a, a little bit of a look as he smiled at me and said, "How are things, Rabbi?" And it's like things are going good. They're, they're we're, we're we're getting there. So it's like the the unwritten, mm, but it's three months. So we need you to come forth and to. Uh, Help us pay. This has been an ongoing thing for 28 years. It happened once in the last 28 years where we paid off the month before the end of the month, and I didn't do an appeal for the end of the month. happened one time. So if we get May, June, and July paid off before the end of July, I don't talk about it anymore. But we're getting closer in the middle of July already, so you only got a couple of weeks. So get those donations in, folks, at the donations page of RabbiFinman.com. Do it today. If you don't like internet giving, Drop your donation to any type of a receptacle and get it to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Okay, the story. There was a man who decided, unnamed man from story, who decided that he is going to make Aliyah. He's going to move to Israel, lock, stock, and borrow, move his whole family. He's going there. And before he left... This is uh, 1989, something, 1990. He went to Lubavitcher Rebbe and told the Rebbe that he is moving to Israel. And the Rebbe gave him $2. And the Rebbe said, one is for you. Because the idea being is, is that the person would increase in giving charity because he now has an extra dollar in his pocket. So he'll give an extra dollar to charity. The other one is for the taxi driver. That's all he said. Goodbye. Boop. Out the door. He says, wow, that's weird. Taxi driver. Okay. I'll give it to the taxi driver. So he's thinking he's going to get, he's going to get picked up by Ben Gorin, Beb Gorin Airport and taken to Jerusalem. He'll give it to the taxi driver there. 
But this taxi driver was so involved with other things and this. And he said, the person said, this can't be the person from whom the, the Rebbe is saying gets a dollar. No. And this went on every time he took a taxi, which after a while, the people get used to uh, riding public transportation. Maybe he had his own car. 20 years went by, and he still had this dollar that the Rebbe gave him to give to the taxi driver, the taxi driver. So finally, he's traveling between point A and point B. And he gets picked up by a taxi driver. He gets picked up, he's taking a, ta- a cab. And he notices that on the visor, the sun visor, there's a picture of the Rebbe, which is not an uncommon occurrence in Israel. Every bus that I was ever on in Israel had a picture of the Rebbe and a picture of Babi Sali, another great righteous person. And so they got to talking, and he said that he's getting really more involved with Judaism and uh, but he's having problems. His wife's not so interested. But he's trying. He, he he learns with uh, goes a couple times a week to the local Chabad house, and he's studying classes, and he's starting to put on tefillin. And he, but it, it's causing like contention. So the man decides this is the person. This is who I have to give the dollar to. He reaches into his wallet. He takes out this dollar which has been sitting in his wallet for twenty years, and says, "The Rebbe, the Rebbe from Lubavitch, gave me this dollar." to give to the taxi cab driver. I'm giving it to you. The guy slams on the brakes, swerves, basically comes to a stop just without hitting anything and says, you don't know what you just did. My wife, as I told you, was very much against me getting involved. And she said, yeah, this Lubavitcher Rebbe is such a holy dude. How come you never got a dollar from the Rebbe? That'll do it for the week. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope to see you back again next week. We hope. Take care. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.